Exciting? Yeah, doing another church plan and going out there in Irvine and everything. So right now, choose. Will you go? Come on. Go, 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 go. No. It's one of those things where, um, you know, my, my wife and I were able to be part of three church plants, and each time it is just so incredible to kind of be able to be a part of, of what God is doing, be able to step on in faith, see him at work, uh, be able to see people come to know Christ. Um, it's just an incredible stuff. So I got to hang out with them in the first, uh, uh, on our previous service and everything, and so I get to go and hang out with you now. Are you guys ready to get into God's Word? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. All right, um, let me do this. Let me pray. So, Lord, I come before you. We thank you, Father, for this time. We pray that you would bless our time together. Uh, speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, today we're coming into the final chapters of our study in the book of Deuteronomy. And so those of you who are outside and everything, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 31 today. So please go and open up your Bibles, open up your apps, make sure that you have that open. We're going to be kind of walking through that today. And um, let me see this. I'm going to be working at 31. Next week, Pastor Chris is going to be concluding our study um, in the book of Deuteronomy. We've called this whole series called Choose Life. And, you know, I have enjoyed our time and just listening to the different teachers, um, Pastor Steve, Chris, James, we had Will Chang speak last week, um, and we, wonderful messages. And I have to let you know today, as I was looking at chapter 31, uh, it doesn't, Deuteronomy 31 doesn't have that much more new information for me to give you that hasn't already been said. And so I was looking at this, it's more of like looking ahead. It's like kind of forecasting and letting people know this is what's going to happen to the people of Israel. And so we've learned from the different messages and the fact that we have learned, it gave us like a window into the heart of the law of Deuteronomy as it expressed in the book. And so we have here where God went and he sends his people out of, you know, with Moses, sends them out of slavery into going towards the promised land. He says, I have chosen you. I have set you apart. I have made you holy, not because of what you have done or what you will do, but because of I have chosen you. And then he also goes on the fact that it's like the law was given to the people, not as a way to go and make them like, you know, like discouraged, make them run away, make them feel guilty or anything else, but it was to help establish this covenantal relationship that he wanted to have with them. And then we also know that Pastor Steve talked about the fact that life and blessing is not going to be found in the land that they're about to enter. But life and blessing is going to be found in God himself. And then we learned last week about the fact that as New Testament Christians, that we, we read the New Testament, but we can look back at the Old Testament, especially in Deuteronomy, that the fulfillment that we see here in the New Testament has all been said all back here in the Old Testament. And what we learned is there is a freedom in Christ. There's a freedom that we have, but we have to continually seek God, fix our eyes on Jesus, right? To make sure we understand what this freedom means to us. Make sure we understand it clearly. So as I was preparing today, I was kind of bummed out. I was like, man, nothing new. But what I get to give you is tell you the future. I get to tell you what God says about God's people. I get to tell you what Moses predicts about, about them hanging around for 40 years with them, hanging around, walking around the desert, and he tells, he, he tells them, you know what, this is what's going to happen to them. And so as I get in today, we get to witness 
in a sense, this passing of a torch of leadership from Moses to Joshua. It's a storyline that kind of shows the fact that, you know what, this is a mantle of leadership that is being passed on from one man to another. And as we talk about that, Moses was the established leader for 40 years. They're walking around in the desert. But before that, he was like being prepared by God in the desert as a shepherd. And then before that, he actually was being prepared as like this secular leader, going to be like Pharaoh himself. But brings him all the way to the point where he was going to lead, you know, lead God's people. And now he's like 120 years old. My grandfather died at 104. So, I mean, I saw him there. But man, you know, 120 is really old. So Moses, with all his wisdom, gives his final words. He gives his final words to his people and lets them know that this is what you need to do to be successful as they walk into the land of Canaan. That you're going about to receive the promise that was given to your fathers, but now it's being passed on to you. So not only leadership was being passed on from Moses down to Joshua, but this promise that was promised to their fathers is now being passed along to them as they enter into the land. And so in his final sermon with them, he says, Israel, you're going to to inherit the land. Then he brings Joshua, this new leader, on the side. He lets them know, um, they're going to get the blessing, they're going to get the gift that was promised, but I want to let you know that they're going to fail to go and keep the law. That Joshua, at this point, needed to know that there was still hope. In the midst of their disobedience, and the fact that they're going to just fall short, that somehow Israel was going to be certainly going to fail. They're going to, they're going to, they will not go and keep God's covenant. But he needed to know that God was going to keep his covenant with his people. And so what we real, realize, I'm hoping you guys realize today that many times as Christians, you know, we can see the people in the Old Testament, but when we think about ourselves, many times we can fail. We can fail. Jesus just gave us two commands. Love God, love people. And in this past year, many times we have failed to do both. But we need to realize the fact that there is still hope in the midst of our disobedience, in the times that we are falling away, we've fallen short, that our relationship can still be restored back with him. And at the same time, we can still shine Christ in the world. And so today, our chapter is quite long. And so I'm hoping you're at you know, chapter 31. But I'm going to give you the major, like, this is like the verse that you should, this is the major point of this, this whole chapter. And it kind of gives us the secret to life. So it's in verse 12 and 13. And let me just kind of set it up in verse 10. You know, Moses, he commands the priests, and he tells them that every seven years, at a set time of release, at this festival of booths, that when Israel comes all together, that they were to go and do this. They were supposed to read God's law so that they can go and hear God's law. Every seven years at this festival, read God's law so they can hear it. They had to hear it because, you know, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have things of, you know, the printing press that, you know, so that way they can get like, okay, let's get everybody going to just read God's law. So the Levites, the priests, had to read it from Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy. And they had to, as they hear it, they had to memorize it. Kind of a daunting task, right? If you kind of think of it your Bible. They said that kids during that time were able to, like Psalms um, 119, right? Longest Psalm. They were able to go and memorize just the Psalms. Kids had that memorized. 
And so imagine if I told you, I'm going to read God's word, and you have to memorize it right now. That was the challenge, right? And so he assembles the people, the men, the women, the little ones, and the sojourners within the towns. And when they hear and learn, and this is what he thinks important as you go into the land, that you need to learn how to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of the law. And the children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as they live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. So in Moses' final words, he gives the secret to life. One thing is this. It's the same thing we've already talked about before. Blessings in life is found in God, that you need to learn how to fear God, not fear the things that happens in our world. Learn to follow his ways. We need to learn how to go, you know what? It's not going to be the gift of the land that is the blessing. Right? It's not our titles, it's not our positions, it's not the, the, um, the successes that we have, it's not the possessions that we can get, the friends that we can have, but it's God himself. And that's where life is found. And that's one thing. But another thing is the fact that as you go into the land, don't forget to do this too. He says, be careful to do the words of the law and that your children who have not known it may also hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. That every generation that we have, going from one to the next, has this challenge in getting to know God. But they need to learn how to pass it on to the next generation. I love here at Living Hope that our mission is to go and really raise up the next generation, um, that people who love God and who, who want to go and pursue God and who want to share Christ in the world. And that's just part of our mission. But when I think about that, um, and this is just a... You know, it's like Pastor Games gets to talk about college. I get to talk about prime because I'm part of prime. And the fact that our prime people, they're not just the next generation. They're the generation now. And the fact that before, we, we talked about the millennials before because you guys were young kids before. But now you have grown up. And now you guys are the major, like, volunteers within our children's ministries, our youth ministries, our college ministries. And so you're the ones who have kind of like passing it along to the next generation. And so this is my ask of those of you who are maybe home builders, maybe elders, maybe deacons. You know, would you take time to go and pray for our single young adults? Because they're the generation that's trying to pass along the word to the next generation. If you want to put in your calendar, seven, you know, putting a uh, little advertisement here, September 7th, and we have our Tuesday night prayers We've been praying for our college, we've been praying for our, our, our youth, we've been praying for our children. On September 7th, we're going to be praying for our single young adults, and I'm hoping that all of you just would join so we could just pray for you. But I would invite all of our deacons and elders and everyone else that you would be um, taking time to maybe pray for them also. Because this is the, you guys are the generation now, that you're the ones who go and has to go and take the challenge to go and really learn it for yourself, to know God, to stay close to God. But you need to take an opportunity to go and pass it along to our next generation. And I thank you for that. That each generation, man, woman, little ones, and even the ones that says that don't even know God yet, your neighbors, they have to have an, have an opportunity to get to know God, a time to experience God. And what we know is fact of all the things we've learned in Deuteronomy before is that life and blessing is found in God only. It has to sit, settle in your heart. But the greatest treasure that we have that keeps us on course is God's word. 
So that's something simple, nothing new. So this new generation that is going into the promised land, right, has this challenge. They're about to go and enter into the land of Canaan. The old generation has passed away. We know that everyone who was 20 and younger gets to go into the new land. Everyone who was 20 and over, basically, died. The reason why they were not allowed to enter into the promised land because they did not live by faith. They allowed fear to kind of overtake them. And so this new generation is about to go into and step into the land. They're going to take the land, and also they're going to see God at work. So that's the call, and that is the thing that we have, keeping God's word, making sure we pass it on to the new generation. Now let me get back to verse 1, the passing of the mantle. So in verse 1, so Moses continued to speak these words to all of Israel. He gathers all of Israel, and he says to them, I'm 120 years old. I can no longer be able to go out and come in. He says, basically his expression is saying, I can't get up for work anymore, Right? And so the Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. He starts saying, letting them know you're going to go into the land. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. You will take the land. The Joshua will go over as your head as the Lord has spoken. And then he tells them about some battles. These battles the Lord will do to them as he did in Zion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to the land. When he destroyed them, and the Lord will give to them over, give them over to you. These battles happened in the past. Most likely, the generation before had to fight those battles. They're about to enter into the new land. These people heard about the battles. Maybe their parents maybe fought those battles. They're about to fight battles that they have never fought before. And so Moses goes and says in verse 6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes before you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Something we should all memorize. And then Moses, he goes and calls up on stage, or maybe he puts him on a big giant rock. He puts Joshua and he says, for everyone to see Joshua, and he says, be strong and courageous. The same words that he just given the people. And he also says, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to the fathers to give them and that you should put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. And what we know here is the fact that Joshua is going to be the leader. The mantle of leadership is being passed over to him. But one thing I want you to know is this, and, and you might miss it. There's all these chiastic structures within the Bible, and Pastor James talked about it, like a sandwich or a hamburger. There's the meat in the middle, but the, there's like the bread on the outside that holds it all together. So in verses 4 and 7 is the meat. Joshua will be their leader. He will go ahead of them. But the thing that holds it all together in verses 3 and 8, it says the Lord will go before you. Right? You can go and, you know, so we know the fact that Joshua is the leader, but it's, it's God. He is our ultimate leader all the time. You know, you got the meat burger, you got the, what, the veggie burger, you got the turkey burger. You can change it all out. But the thing that holds it all together, it calls it a sandwich, it calls it a hamburger, is God. And we got to continually remember that. But the other thing is the fact that the people and Joshua both have the same call. Right? It says, be strong and courageous. 
to go and he tells them, do not fear. The Lord goes with you, that he will not leave you and forsake you. They both have the same call. There's someone who's going to lead them into the new land. But it's the people who have this, exactly the same call. And sometimes we think, well, we've got to follow the leader and follow what their vision is and whatever it is. It's all of us, right? We go into the land when, and when God calls us by faith and we do that together. We both all have the same call to follow our God. There's some verbs here that are very important. The first verb is be strong, physical strength, recovering from some kind of illness. In this, in this part, it actually talks about groups of people can be strong. As if to say, you know what, be strong, be united, be one. There's another verb in here, it's important, be courageous. And which is, it describes like an inner strength, a fortitude. You know, there's a, this is an imperative verb when I was looking at it. So it's, it's talking about the individual. It talks about, yes, it talks about, yeah, the, the group, be strong. But each one of you are urged to display the sense of tenacity, resolve that is necessary, necessary to accomplish the same goal. I was reading an article, and it talked about like the Webster Dictionary, the 1828 version, and it talked about this word courage. And so, um, I don't know if you know, but you know, Webster was a born-again Christian. And so, this word courage comes from the word, it's a French word that comes from the word heart. And it says, courage is the quality that enables one to face danger, difficulty and danger with firmness without fear or depression. And then, being a born-again born again Christian, he will put a scripture verse under there, and he will put Deuteronomy 31, which we're studying today. As if Moses is going and saying to us today, in the fact that in his final speech, this is really important for all of you, as, Josh, you know, as I'm about to die, handing the mantle of leadership up to Joshua, I'm 120 years, this is my wisdom to you, that I want you to go and be strong. I want you to be united. I need you to be one. But I also need this from each individual of you, that you need to be courageous, that you got to have heart. Because there's going to be difficulty along the way. Yes, Joshua will be designated as a leader, but the people have the same challenge to step out in faith to go into the land, to possess the land. It is the Lord your God who goes before you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And, you know, as, you know, um, DJ guys were all up here with Zoe Church, and there was a sense of a buzz, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, we're going to go and we're going to take Irvine. We're going to go and, I mean, we're going to take the new land. It is so awesome, man. We're going to win people to Christ, right? It's awesome. But let me tell you the reality, what happens to God's people in Deuteronomy. In Moses, he tells this final sermon. He tells the people, people of Israel, you're going to inherit the land. Then he brings Joshua on the side. He lets him know, I just want to let you know that people are not going to keep my covenant. They're going to break my laws. So he calls Joshua and the priests, and they go to this place outside of, out, of their, um, out of their village and basically into this place called the Tent of Meeting. And they ask God to go and show up there. And so the Lord says this in, four, in verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And the Lord and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in this tent. So he comes there, comes as a cloud, and he comes to the entrance of the tent. 
And there the Lord spoke to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise, and he tells the future. And they will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be devoured, and many evils and troubles will come upon them. So that then when they say that, Say on that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because on that day that they have done because they have turned to other gods. He lets them know the fact that they will not go and keep the law. They were supposed to keep it. And how many times maybe when things are not going right and we've, we've, for some of us, we really didn't have a very good year the last couple years. And we wonder about why does God allow all of these troubles to happen in the world? Or many times, like, why, is, why does God allow really bad things to happen to good people? Or sometimes you may be thinking to yourself, I've been walking around in circles and I feel so stuck. I need God to go and just show up and just show up and help me right now. Where is he in the midst of all the things that are happening right now? And sometimes we just have to kind of think about, like, Have we maybe wandered too far from his blessings? Maybe from what the life that he has called us to do. You know, we're supposed to follow God's word. That's why we need God's word. It keeps us on track. It helps us to go and continually have heart. Do you remember in verse 10, I told you in the very beginning that they they were required to go and read the law, Genesis to Deuteronomy, every seven years at this festival of boots. And it got me curious, like, you know, how often did they do this? And so when I looked, the first public of the reading of the law happened in Joshua 8.3. So as soon as they went into the land, they went, man, we got to read God's law. Make sure you remember all of this so that way we stay close to him. The next time that is recorded in the Bible is 500 years later in the reign of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 17.7. And after that, more than 250 years when King Josiah um, was, in, was the ruler, it was in 2 Chronicles 34.30. You know, the public reading of his word most likely happened more than this that's recorded. But it, it's, it was something, it was, it was kind of like more unusual than it was common. That it, there was a sense of the, a kind of neglect to go and read and memorize his word. And no wonder Israel got themselves in so much trouble, all the way from Deuteronomy from that point forward, all the way to Malachi. They keep failing over and over again, even though that God went and forgave them. In 2 Kings, in King Josiah's reign, this, one of the Levites, they go into the temple of God. He finds this law. It wasn't stolen. It wasn't burned. It was always there. And he reads it before King Josiah. He tears his clothes and he says, what is this? Why haven't I been, why don't I know this? The kings were supposed to be writing it down. They're supposed to be memorizing it. The Levites were supposed to be, were, were, were supposed to read and read out the law to the people so they can stay close to God. And we wonder why many times, maybe we have wandered. You know, the word of God is our ability to know him and know what he's doing so we can stay on track. 
But some of us might be thinking, well, I mean, I do this every day. I come to church every week. I go and I, I come to cell group. I study God's word. I pray. But there's some time, sometimes I just feel like, man, I feel like I'm stuck. I've been asking for God's blessings in life, and I feel like I'm just walking around in circles. In fact, I feel like I'm going backwards. And during this time, this past years, I just feel like I just can't handle it no more. Where is God in the midst of all the things that are happening? And we have to know the fact that he promises never to leave us and forsake us, and he shows up when it's necessary. You know, there was a time in my life when I needed to take a voluntold sabbatical that I was doing ministry, it was doing very well, but my health started to fail me. And so the doctor told me that I had about six months to live, and I laughed at him because he had six months. And he said, no, if you're going the way that you're going right now, you will be dead in six months. Our church had grown from about 100 to about 2,000 in about three years of working way too hard. And so we had to leave that church to take a sabbatical. And, um, you know, they allowed me to kind of, they paid my way. They went they sent us to Kona, Hawaii, which was really beautiful. They, we went to this YWAM base, Youth with the Mission base, and um, it took us time to recover. It took us time to kind of get back and, and just really be able to, um, I don't know, just kind of learn from teachers and professors, and that was fun. What well, was even more fun is the fact that boogie boarding was just invented right down the streets. I went boogie boarding every single day, which was good. But it was during this time that I remember that I felt actually very guilty. I felt as if I'd let everyone down. You know, my family were in this position that we'd taken this step back. In fact, didn't know if we could ever take a step forward again. And the fact that I've let the people in our church let down, the fact that I had to go walk away from all of this and um, didn't know what was going to happen. And I felt like a failure during that time. So I remember that one of the classes, the teacher goes and enters in, and she tells, she kind of says, sorry, I'm late and everything, but I had this letter that I need to go and um, kind of finish up because she felt that God wanted me to kind of, kind of like write, write this letter for someone in class. And so I've asked the AV team to kind of put this letter on there, and so this is a letter. I had it here. So I got to find that again. It was, hopefully it's not lost. I've had it since 2005 and everything. And... Um, so she opens up this letter, and she reads this letter, and on the top of the letter, she writes, she has my name on there, Ben Tabal and Irina, which is my wife. And as I read this letter, I'm hoping that this letter maybe is a time for you. It's a bunch of scriptures put into a letter form, and maybe you feel like you've been going in circles, maybe you feel like you've been stuck, maybe you feel like you're walking backwards, but let me read this to you today. It says, I love you, my son and daughters. You're right where I want you to be. Have no fear of the future. Take one day at a time. I want to open your spiritual eyes and ears like never before. It is a day of new beginnings for you and your family. You're hearing from me. Now listen. Have no fear of man, only the fear of me, which is to hate evil and beginning of wisdom. Be strong, courageous. Love your wife. Love your daughter or your husband, your sons. They are gifts for me. Pray and encourage one another. I have called you both for such a time as this. Worship me, my son and daughters, in spirit and in truth. I love you. Give all your hurts and disappointments to me. I daily carry your burdens. In all your ways, acknowledge me and I will direct your paths. Be led by me, by my spirit, not the voices of others, only me. 
I know the plans that I have for you and your family, plans for hope and future. Just trust me, follow me, keep your eyes on me, not the circumstances, and it ends, I love you. And that was a word that I needed to hear at that moment. It was a timely word that came at just the right time. I had to go through those situations, but when I think about that, we don't have to go and receive these kinds of words every seven years. Right? We have it here within what we call the Bible. We, we can have access, access to that every single day. Access of words that would give us life, to know of his love, to know his directions, know how to get to know him a little bit more. And so Joshua would be commissioned by God. It says, be strong and courageous. For you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I've sworn to give them. I will be with you. All of a sudden, Moses, he writes the finishing touches on Deuteronomy. And then Moses commanded the Levites, the elders of the tribes, the officers. He gathers them together and he lets them know that the words in this law is going to be a witness against you, he says. In verse 29, it says, For I know that after my death, you shall surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. So it wasn't just the common people. It will be the priest, the elders, the officers. And we all need to be reminded that many times, you know what? God promises that even though that we fail, even if we call fall short, you know what? He says, you will. But he promises never to leave us. He promises never to forsake us. But there is a choice that we need to make. There is a choice, in fact, that many times he says you have a choice to follow him or not, to listen to him or not. In, in Deuteronomy 30, it says that God says, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. What do you choose? It's so easy for us to look back and from Genesis all the way to Malachi and say, man, those Old Testament people, what the heck were they thinking? We can read and say, you know what? If you want life, choose God. You know, if you choose God, you're going to have life, right? We can easily say that. But I wonder how, um, I guess for us, like, like, we can do the same. You know, it says in Proverbs, um, life and death is in the power of our tongue that we can build up or break down maybe with our kids, maybe with our spouse, the people around us. As simple as something like that. You know, there's an old illustration that I use. Um, it's, I use the thing called Let's Make a Deal. You ever heard that show, Let's Make a Deal? You, you heard of Wayne Brady? He kind of hosts that show. Well, I'm so old that the host was, I want you to look at the picture right here. So do you guys know who this guy is? Like, nobody knows who this is. What is his name? Monty... Monty Hall, you're just as old as me. Great, great, thank you, right? But it was a, such an old shirt. Look at the jacket and everything, right? So game shows were around for a long time. But Monty Hall was the, was the host, and he would go and say, you know what, there was like these guys dressed up as like cowboys and, and I don't know, people was like nurses and like chickens, like, baka, baka, okay? The reason why they did that is because they wanted to go and get Monty's attention, if they get their attention, he would call them down and you get to play. Let's make a deal. 
So he, imagine you're sitting there and he says, who wants to play? Let's make a deal. Everybody would arise and all of a sudden this cowboy guy would take out his fake guns and he says, Monty, yeehaw, pick me, right? And so he's got, trying to get their attention. And then you got this other lady, it's like, and she's dressed up as a nurse. She goes, mwah, mwah, Monty, pick me, pick me. And then you got like the guy in the chicken suit, bakak, 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 right? Monty, pick me, right? Because he's so loud, Monty says, okay, come on down. You can go and play. Let's make a deal. We're going to play the three-door game, right? There's always three doors, door one, door two, door three. As soon as he says which door to choose, that person would get all excited. Oh, I don't know what I want to pick. I don't know what should I pick. It's like, oh, it was like, you got to choose the door. Door one, two, or three. Oh, I don't know. I choose door number three. And then all of a sudden, things would just kind of stop. And he says, okay, because you have chosen door number three, let me show you what's in door number one and two. In door number one, you got 10 Mercedes Benzes. Oh. And door number two, you got like the trip to Acapulco, all expense paid. Oh. And also, there's always the booby trap prize, the one that you don't win anything at all. So door number three would open up. There would be a donkey. Yeehaw, right? You didn't win anything at all. That's pretty tragic. Let me tell you what would be even more tragic. So you have the doors, door one, two, and three. Monty Hall says, okay, what do you pick? I don't know what I want to pick. And then he goes, but he goes, hold on, chicken. Let me, let me show you what's behind door number one, two, and three. Would you do that for me? I'll do that for you. So in door number one, you got like 10 Maseratis, right? All brand new. And oh, he got all excited. And then door number two, all expense trip to all around the world for the rest of your life. Ah! And then door number three, you got the donkey. E-house. And now what do you pick? I don't know what I want to pick. I choose door number three. Wouldn't that be tragic? But we do that every single day. It says that death and life is the power of our tongue. What do you choose? I don't know what I choose. Uh, death. Right? That's what happens in the Old Testament. In the fact that the people chose over and over again, they chose not to follow God. But that's when we get into the New Testament, that's why we have Jesus. Because we know that when we fall short, the fact that God forgives us, right? That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That we all have all our sinners, that we have all fallen short of his glory. But we have a decision that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Will you open that door to him? And I bet that most of you have done that. But if you have, I would love to go and talk to you. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? But at the same time, I wonder many times we have wandered so far away that we've forgotten who we are. And so I wanted to, as we close, can I remind you who you are? You know, you can say when the Old Testament is strong and courageous. I mean, that's for those in the Old Testament. What is it for us as New Testament Christians? If you wanted to turn with me to 1 Peter 2, and, and maybe I could just read it to you. And I want you to take this as your commissioning for today. That you can go and hit your neighbor and let him know that this is for you. But you can hit him again and let him know the fact that this is for me. And it says that you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. And you have set before you death and life. What do you choose? Well, I'm going to choose life. Choose life today. Let's pray. So Lord, I come before you. And I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to remind us of who we are. That just as in the Old Testament, you have called your people to go and continually step out in faith, to go and follow you. But as we follow you, with all the successes and everything that comes with it, we pray, Lord God, that we stay close to you, that we learn how to fear you, we learn how to follow your ways. But not only that, but we learn how to give it to the next generation so that they would also know it too. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us right now that maybe for some of us, we feel as if we're so far away, we feel so stuck. Let us know that you are near. Let us know the fact that you will provide a way for us through this time. That even though that right now, I don't see the light right now, but I know that you are there. And I will keep following you by faith, not by sight. We just want to declare to you the fact that right now that we love you because we know that you love us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.